Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles True Crime Podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that says the only essential oil you need is bacon grease. Ain't that right? It's Dale. <laughs> you got to have a big old glob of bacon grease. You got to, man. You got to. I mean, who wants that elderberry and all this other stuff when you can have bacon grease? That's right. Just slather it on. What's going on, dude? <laughs> oh, same old, same old. Working hard and ready to have some fun. We're going to have some fun with this podcast. Yeah. It's always fun. You got any good shout outs? Anybody you want to talk about or mention today before we I, get started? I do have uh, one little thing here to spin off. We would like to uh, give a big thanks to a friend of the show, uh, Mary Catherine. Mary Catherine Woods. We, uh, we appreciate you. Uh, she's been uh, sharing a good word, uh, you know, the gospel, if you will. And uh, she's brought in uh, Janet Williams into the Crack House family, and we really want to welcome her in, and uh, thanks for listening. Those folks have started listening to our episode, and man, we appreciate it a whole bunch. That's right. That word of mouth stuff works good. God, don't it, though. I'm telling you. Yeah. And that, and sharing stuff, and that's about all I got for this week. That's all you got? Mm-hmm. Sorry. We want to remind everybody to. <laughs> <laughs> we want to remind everybody to go to the website, go to the store page, buy you something. That's right. Yeah. It seems like when we do these episodes, when we record them, stuff's on sale. But then I know it yeah. every day. Yeah. We it's need, like ooh, ooh, stuff's on sale. Well, I guess it won't we need be to do better. Do better putting it on our social media. The stuff's on sale. Yeah. My bad. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, I forget too, and I see it's on sale, and then I forget looking, about it. I just be looking at it, wanting to buy me something. Yeah. Go shopping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if anybody wants to go to Apple Podcast and leave a five-star and write something in the box, Write people. something in the box. That way I'll have uh, something to shout out. Yeah. And if you do that, <laughs> if you write something in the box, it shows up and we get a notification that somebody has left a review. And we'll give you a shout out. Ain't that the truth? You've got that right, man. That? YouTube comments? Yeah. Stuff just... Just blow us up. We'll, we'll talk about you. We will talk about it. We'll, we'll say something about you. <laughs> and we're still not on Samsung, but we're trying. It's not there. I don't know why it's not uploading to Samsung. I'm telling you, as many times as I searched it to see if we're there yet, they should be getting some kind of <laughs> algorithm. Every day, them. Dale says, guess what? We're still not on Samsung. <laughs> every day. Yeah, every day. A couple times a day. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I have done all I can do on my end okay. to make it work. We'll see. Oh, so, y'all start blowing them up. I know. Our podcast host says it's their, their tech support is pretty bad apparently yeah i've tried to contact them and and all i get is an automated messaging thing and says that it doesn't give me any option to for podcast help that's the samsung folks not our not our guys yeah the our, samsung our, people our guys are good yeah they do really good yeah all right dale we're gonna get into our case this week okay and we've got a disappearance disappearance yeah the last time we did a episode from maine was kathy marie moulton little girl went missing there we interviewed kevin katie I think that was what episode? Episode 30. Episode 30. God, that was way back. Way back. Way back. But we've got a disappearance from Maine from 1975. Speaking of way back. Yeah. <laughs> the 70s. Yep. And this is the disappearance of Kurt Ronald Newton. Kurt Newton. Yep. Kurt Newton. Sounds like a NASCAR driver. Sure does. <laughs> but he went missing on August the 31st of 1975. And just a little bit of description of kurt he was born on july 28th of 1971 he was four years old at the time he was a white male height three foot one inches weighing about 35 pounds and he had strikingly blonde hair yeah and medium length mm-hmm. with blue eyes pretty little fella yep and the last thing he was seen wearing he was wearing a navy blue jacket a blue sweatshirt with the word Manchester across the front. 
some brown corduroy pants and blue suede ankle high shoes. Blue paint shoes. Blue suede shoes. Easy for you to say. He, yeah, <laughs> easy. Yeah, easy for me to say. But now the Kurt, he was the son of Jill and Ronald Newton. They were from Manchester, Maine, and Kurt had an older sister that was two years older than him. Her name was Kimberly. And they were from Manchester, and they were going camping Labor Day weekend of 1975. But they were going to the Natanis Campground. This is located in Chain of Ponds, Maine, and it's just about six to seven miles south of the Canadian border. So it's up there pretty close to That's way up there. Canada. Mm-hmm. And this is going to play a little bit into this a little bit later. Shout out to my boy Joe in Canada. Up there in Canada. <laughs> but they were going camping, and they, they got to the Natanis Campground. This is on a Friday of Labor Day weekend. And they had just purchased a second-hand pop-up camper. Heck, yeah. And Jill had described it as their luxury or our luxury. Yeah, I'm sure they were really excited. This is their first trip in their new camper. Yep, and they were avid outdoorsmen. They loved camping, getting outside, and going camping. But they had uh, gathered some firewood along an abandoned logging road. This was nearly a mile from their campsite. And they'd always said that camping isn't isn't camping without a bonfire. Right. And on Saturday, their friends arrived at the campground, and the kids had taken toys with them, Dale. They had, uh, Kurt took his tricycle with him, and I think Kimberly, his older sister, took her bicycle and some Barbie dolls, as we had been described. Mm-hmm. And they loved riding through mud puddles and just having a good big, big old time just there. Just a big old time. Yeah. There in the campground. And this was an end-of-summer deal for them, because... School was getting ready to start back, and they were just ready to relax and have a good weekend with the family and just having a, a good time. That's right. Mm-hmm. They said things just felt right. Yeah, just to go have a good time with family and friends up there. And that Sunday morning, the sun had rose, and I think Kurt had slept late that morning. I think he had slept about 9 o'clock. Yeah, I think they got there Friday, right? Yeah. And then uh, I think all their friends showed up Saturday, so I'm sure they had a, a big day on Saturday. All mm-hmm. of them playing and stuff, and so that's probably why he was sleeping in late. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you're out camping like that, you're going to sleep. You'll be wore out. Yeah. yeah. No doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And the kids were playing, and Ron had got up and fixed breakfast there, and he'd fixed fried potatoes, ham, eggs, toast, and I think he had some juice. Mm-hmm. And... Kurt was eating a donut on a stick. <laughs> it'd been warmed up over the fire. Yep. And Ronald, the dad, had threw all the trash, the paper plates into the fire, and Jill was gathering up all the, I guess, the dishes and maybe some clothes, and she was going to take them to the bathhouse. Yeah, I think she grabbed their, their muddy shoes and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And she was going to the bathhouse with one of her friends to get everything washed up. Yep. And the kids were playing... Uh, Kurt's older sister Kimberly had been playing a game and Kurt was just riding his tricycle around the campsite just having a big old time and while Jill was gone Ron the dad was going to get some firewood Mm -hmm. they were getting low and the nights were going to get cold and he had gotten in a vehicle with Bob Walker right and he had been described that he had gotten in the vehicle they had gotten into Ron's Bronco right I don't know which one had happened well, we'll but, go with the Bronco. But they that were, cool. them two guys were going together. They to grabbed get, an axe and went to go get the firewood. They were going to get firewood. Right. And like I said, the kids were playing around. And when he left, uh, it was heard that Kurt apparently hollered out, Daddy, Daddy. And 
tried to catch him riding his tricycle. Yeah, he probably just looked up and realized they had left, and he was like, I'm going to jump on my, my ride and see if I can catch up. Yeah, he was going to pedal away. Mm-hmm. Focused. But they were heading up the road to a, the old logging road to get firewood. Mm-hmm. And this was when uh, Kurt had passed a little girl. She was about 11 years old. Her name was Lou Ellen Hanson. And she was coming back from a walk, and she hollered out at him and said, Hey, do your parents know where you are? Mm-hmm. And he didn't reply at all. He didn't even look up. Right. He was focused. Yeah, he just kept on pedaling. She's trying to do the right thing, though. That's pretty smart on her part. Be 11 years old. Right. Mm-hmm. And Jill was just getting back from, I guess, washing the clothes, the dishes, or whatever they had to wash up. And Kurt was nowhere to be seen. Mm-hmm. And she was asking people around the campsite, have you seen Tricycle? Have you seen Kurt? And nobody had seen him at all. And she began to think the first thought was that he may have gone with the men to get firewood. But she kept looking around, and there was no Kurt. No Kurt at all. Mm-mm. And this was when a, a guy named Jack Hanson, he was the, Dale, I think he was the camp. Caretaker. Yeah, yeah, he looked after things there. He was a, a volunteer caretaker. He was a retired uh, teacher, and he had uh, been volunteering there for, for several years. Mm-hmm. And he was also the dad of Llewellyn Hanson. That, the girl who saw him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was just getting back to the campsite when um, they were looking around for, for Kurt, and this is when he had told them that he had spotted a tricycle up near the dump. Mm-hmm. And he threw it in the dump. Yeah, he thought it had just been discarded and left up there, so he just took it and chunked it in the dump. Just sitting there on the side of the road, which me and you have talked about this, and I think this was... It's weird. It is weird. Very, very weird situation. Me, a person who throws away nothing, would definitely have not thrown a perfectly good tricycle into the trash. Because you know he'd had to see Kurt riding around on this thing. Or at least, you know, I mean, if you go and look at it and it's it's tore up wheels bent or something, sure. But if you look at it and it's, it looks, you know, I mean, it might have been dirty, but... But, you know, everything's functionally working properly. Why mm-hmm. would you not just take it back to the campground, if nothing else, just so it would be there for other kids to play with? Yeah. The way I'm thinking, you know? Exactly. But he told them that uh, he had spotted a tricycle and put it in the dump. <laughs> Everybody freaked. Yeah, Jill, she and some of her friends, they took off to the dump. Mm-hmm. And they pulled the tricycle out of the dump, and Jill's first words were, my God, someone's taking him. Wow. That was her first instinct, Dale. Mm-hmm. But the guys there were just sort of thinking that Kurt just wandered off and looking for the guys. Right. But, well, you know, probably the way it looked, it probably looked like he had pulled up on the tricycle and pulled over to the side of the road there and then walked down in the woods looking for him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as they say, you know, he he was kind of terrified of the woods himself to be alone. He said even uh, at their home. He wouldn't go into the woods even when his sister wanted him to go into the woods. He would never do it and go in the house and tell his mom that there's monsters in the woods. He wasn't going in. Yeah. So she probably knew right then that he's probably not wandering around in the woods by himself. Because mm, Kirk was one to to have, be close to his mom. Right. Anytime they would go anywhere, if he got if she got out of his sight, I mean, he would start crying. Yeah. He was a... Uh, he's a little mama's boy. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. So it just makes me wonder him peddling off like that. And this is all within, you know, five, ten minutes. Yeah, it's not a long period of time at all. There was a guy, Dwayne Lewis. He was the main fish and game warden inspector. And he was patrolling near his home in Phillips, Maine. This was about 70 miles south of Chain of Ponds when the call came in from the regional game warden that a child was lost. Hmm. 
and a small search party had already been organized from the campers there at the Chain of Ponds and Natanas Campground right. to comb the logging roads. And Lewis was 39 and a veteran warden with 14 years and nearly 75 searches under his belt. And, yeah, he was definitely the man to have. Yeah. And no search of which Lewis had been in charge had failed to find a missing person in so, the woods. You know, he was a whole lot no. I mean, he never, he always got his man. If in, you in were lost, world. he was the man to have. Yeah, definitely. Because, the you know, a missing boy of only four and the temperature expected to drop into the 20s that night. Mm, that's not good. No, Lewis called area wardens for assistance. So already they're getting, you know, multi- uh, multi-unit help and everybody was heading north to the chain of ponds yes. in the tanis campground because it's way out there in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. i don't think there's a town within like 30 miles of this place i know besides unless you go over to canada line and i don't know how far it is that way to a to a town so it's it's pretty desolate but lewis he was convinced that it's much harder to plan for a search for a small child but equally convinced when he arrived at the scene about 4 p.m that with 29 searchers already at hand, the boy would be home by nightfall. He was pretty confident that they were going to find Kurt Newton. Well, it's pretty impressive, you know. That I mean, he got there and there's already 30 people looking, you mm-hmm. know. So everybody's everybody's on board here. Yep. And they even had a helicopter and search plane on the way there. Mm-hmm. Well, Kurt had always been fascinated with helicopters. And even when, when one would come over his house, he would always be fascinated by them, you know, looking up at them. And Jill even got up in one of the helicopters and was on the loudspeaker, Dale. And she kept hollering on the loudspeaker, Kurt, I'm in the helicopter. Your mommy and daddy are waiting for you. I want you to follow me back to the camp. Walk towards the helicopter. Don't sit down and don't be afraid. Just stand up and walk and I'll take you back. So it seems like to me they're doing everything right, Mm -hmm. you know, and pretty damn quick. Yeah. But later, Jill would consider the first day's efforts and say even if he had somehow gotten out of the prime area, that helicopter would have brought him back. Right. So I think Jill, in the back of her mind the whole time, she was pretty convinced that he was taken. Yeah. I mean, she's probably, you know, doing her best she can to to hope he's not. But that was her first reaction. Mm Mm-hmm. But like we said, Dale, the temperature was getting down into the low 20s that night. Right. Mm-hmm. And she was freaking out. She's probably thinking that, you know, Kurt's just wondering, why don't, why don't they come and get me? Yeah. You know, yeah. so she's beating herself up already. Mm-hmm. That's not good. Yep. Now, by daybreak on Labor Day, a bloodhound team sent it on Kurt's pajamas. And a year earlier, the same bloodhounds had been instrumental in tracking a two-year-old uh, girl that was lost in New Sharon Woods. So these gar- these these dogs were pretty trained. Yes. And the weather kept getting worse. Mm-hmm. And one searcher said it was dark, dank, and miserable with the fog setting in, and everybody was soaking wet and chilled to the bone. Yeah, and by now the search party had grown to nearly 200 people. Wow. And that's quick. But these woods, Dale, they were filled with holes and some bigger than a man. Mm-hmm. And fishing game warden Dwayne Lewis said that piles of rocks and boulders covered with moss and enormous root cavities. So, place where anybody could get in and just disappear. Right. Meanwhile, this you know they said that uh, the hounds they had uh, run up to the dump 
you know, and they'd run about 10 yards, and then they'd whirl around another way and run, and it just kind of, in confusion, it was just kind of getting overwhelmed by all the conflicting uh, sense mm-hmm. for everything's going on. So that's not good. No. You know, it's just not looking good. But they were looking for a Kurt everywhere, and the search team was getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And Mainers from all walks of life, buses brought workers from paper mills, factories, from throughout northern and central Maine. Uh, college students, uh, woodsmen, and all kinds of people were coming from everywhere to look for this little boy. This was the biggest search party ever, yeah, in, ever. in the state of Maine. Mm-hmm. And cars were lined up on Route 27 for more than a mile. Wow. People looking for Kurt. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And people were even coming in cooking meals for the searchers, Dale. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, everybody that wasn't searching was doing something to help. Right. You know, I even heard that a lot of the ladies in the auxiliary and stuff, they were cooking for up to 1,500 people. Wow. That's a lot of meals. But the Newtons, they were determined that nothing was going to be left out. And Jill had learned from a searcher that a top-secret plane had been used in Vietnam to find gorillas in, like, dense jungles. And she ran to the warden. She said, I don't care what it costs or how it works. I want them to tell me where my son is. Right. So <laughs> so that Monday night, that $10 million gunship flew in from Florida. Yeah, Pensacola, Florida, with a nine-man crew. And this is the first time it would be used in a civilian search. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy, man. And the plane was equipped with infrared sensors and low-light television sensor equipment for nighttime use. So in 1975, this is probably top of the line stuff. It's got to be. Yeah. And Jill was excited. Yeah. They said it's so sensitive it could detect the heat differential between a a white median strip and the blacktop road at 10,000 feet. That's that's awesome, man. That's pretty sensitive, yeah. Yeah. But Jill got excited when she heard the plane was on the way. Mm -hmm. But Ron, who was very protective about letting me get my hopes up, she said, cautioned, it's just a machine. Don't put much on it. Right. And so he's trying to keep a level head here. Yeah, he he is. And Ron, I mean, man, this guy, he was a go-getter. Yeah. He wasn't sleeping. He was constantly. Refused to rest. Yes. And on Monday, returning wearily from a, the woods at dusk, Ron tripped and fell in a deep gully. And he, holes yeah, he turned about. his ankle over. And it turned purple and black and blue. And it swelled up twice its size. Mm. And the doctor ordered him off his feet, mm-hmm. but he continued. No, that wasn't going to work. Yeah, I mean, I'd be the same way. I would be out there. Yeah, definitely. And he went about four nights. Four nights with no sleep. Yeah. And it was at one point, uh, his friends, I guess just out of desperation, they laced his coffee with uh, tranquilizers. Yeah, because he was continually drinking coffee just to keep himself awake. So mm-hmm. they, they, they knew they had to do something, even though it was kind of a little sketchy there. And I don't know if you get away with it nowadays, but... I mean, and I guess they was doing it for his own good. Just He had to get some sleep. Yeah. And Wednesday night, this was his fourth night without sleep. The tranquilizers finally took effect, mm-hmm. and his speech sort of slowed, and he just, just collapsed yep. and got some much-needed rest. But it was said, uh, Dwayne Lewis, he even said he's the toughest man he's ever seen. You couldn't believe how much stamina he had. Uh, yeah. Especially with his ankle blowed up like that and still going. I guess when you got a kid missing like that, you are in mission mode. Said that right. You cannot concentrate on anything else. Huh. There's nothing else more important, that's for sure. I know. But this uh, gunship that was flew in from Florida flew a three-hour mission, and it failed to detect any trace of Kurt. Hmm. 
and the plane was hampered by low hanging clouds and heavy rains that grew so bad the searchers could not see their way out of the woods and it had to be pulled out. Man, I'm telling you, it seems like every um, child uh, missing case that we do, as soon as something happens, it comes just starts raining like hell. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about Dennis Martin, mm-hmm. uh, Trini Gibson. Yep. I mean, the the weather impeded their search. Every time. Mm-hmm. Can't never get a drought. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Jill was saying that if someone had asked me beforehand how I'd have acted, she would say later that I would just go to pieces, but something happens to keep you going. Mm-hmm. You find reserves you didn't know you had. I just kept telling myself it wasn't going to do Kurt any good if I wasn't able to function. Right. Freaking out is not going to help nobody. Mm-hmm. She even said that it seemed that every time I turned around, the wardens were pulling Ron out of the woods because I was upset. Finally, I said, look, I'll tell you if I need him, but I'm going to cry. There's no way I'm not. Right. Wow. So basically, let him look. Leave him alone. I'm going to be over here doing my own thing, but I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And she preferred to search with her own friends, going out on gut instincts. And she would just look in holes, and people would go down in holes and look and wasn't finding no sign of Kurt. Yeah, she just knew she was going to find him out. You know, the next tree or the next hole, it looked like, just, here he is. has got to be in this one. He's got to be in this one. Yeah. But, you know, you got you to stay positive. Mm-hmm. And as the days passed and absolutely no trace of Kurt was found, and a sense of reality flooded Jill, it mm-hmm. seemed that it was someone else's child and not mine, not our Kurt, she said. And at night was the worst time. I, I can't imagine, man. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you even go on? I don't know. Or how do you even leave that place? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'd be like I'd be like Ron. Yeah. And on the fifth day of the search, uh, Governor of Maine James Longley flew to the scene, and he promised the Newtons, "Anything in my power, I will do." He called the search, which had moved into extraordinary stage. Dale, it was even a shoulder to shoulder combing of more than. 2,000 acres. Can you imagine? Mm-mm. And it was the most impressive experience he'd ever had. Right. The amount of people looking for this kid. And this uh, aircraft, they flew out of Florida. This C-130H aircraft flew another mission, again, failing to detect any trace of Kurt. Right. But you know with the infrared, they, he'd have been there. They would have spotted something, man. Yeah, especially at night. Yeah. Now, the bloodhounds, they... Tried to pick up since. Right. And, you know, everywhere Kurt may have been, which were under some conditions, may have lasted for 10 days. And the woods grew so intense that Ron lost his ink pen twice in this underbrush. Right. And it was found. Twice. Yeah. Searchers found this ink pen. That's how close they right. were looking, man. So that's how hard these people are looking. They can't find nothing. Nothing. You imagine in the roughest terrain you've been through holes trees giant roots clumps and dirt and trash and you lose your ink pen and they find it twice mm-hmm. crazy and even psychics throughout new england offered their help but weren't able to really say much some had said that he'd been taken into canada and some said he'd been other places right but now there were only so many places they could look and they went to the dump Right. And the dump was bulldozed, and workers, they sifted through clumps of dirt. They moved the dump from one site to another, yeah, piece, piece by piece. Yeah, piece by piece. Yeah. Yes. Crazy. Trying to look for any sign of Kurt. They're not going to leave a no stone unturned. Mm-mm. 
And the search would continue, they said, until Wednesday, September the 10th. This was 13 days after Kurt Newton's disappearance. And we've done, they said, we've done just about everything we can think of. Everywhere you can go, there's marking tape and our footprints. Well, you think about it, all those people, and all those, I mean, that's a lot of acres, but shoulder to shoulder search, and, you know, I'm sure they gritted it off and done it right. So, I mean, hell, what else can you do? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know as a parent, that's not what you want to hear, but really, you know, you know, everything's done that could be done. And it seems to me they've done everything they could here and they've done it right. Yeah. So kudos to law enforcement and, and the, the wardens and all them. Yeah, they yeah. spared no expense on this kid, man, right. trying to find him. And the day the search was to end, the governor extended it two more days just to keep it going. Yep. And when you search that long and hard, there's always the hope that this time we're going to hit it. And it officially ended at dusk on Friday, September the 12th in the woods by the dump mm-hmm. with 12 wardens, six state troopers, and 75 volunteers making a final mournful shoulder-to-shoulder sweep. At the end, over 3,000 searchers had taken part in this, Dale, and absolutely nothing had been found. Wow. Nothing. Nope. And Ron and Jill Newton stayed at the Natanis campground for two more weeks before returning to Manchester. How could you leave, man? I, 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 can't, I can't even imagine how you... I can't... It's just, this, this blows my mind. This is the most perplexing case i've heard of yes. this little kid just was there one minute and gone the next right now that like i said they stayed for two more weeks before returning to manchester but they began weekend journeys to the chain of ponds and two people in the woods that might as well have stretched forever Dwayne lewis returned as well and they kept looking for kurt with no sign of him at all and you know this it's bothering this Dwayne guy because he had he'd found everybody he ever tried to look for yeah and the Newtons, they were posting missing signs deep in the woods, warning hunters to report any unusual signs. And this is when the winter came and the snow came, and Ron had his snowmobile to take him deeper into the back country until the winter grew raw, and he was forced to say enough is enough. Hmm. I mean, how do, how do you get to that point where you say enough is enough? I mean, it's... well. I don't know. I guess probably eventually you're gonna say, "Well, even if he's here, he's 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 done." Yeah, but I mean, by this time, they had decided that Kurt was not in the woods, and that he had never been. Right. That somehow he had been taken and probably was still safe. This is what Jill and Ron were pretty much saying. Well, that's probably the only way you can, uh, you know, face it. Yeah, you know, basically, well, he's not here, so we—that's the only way you can say, well, okay, we can leave because uh, he's just not here. We've done everything we can done. We've searched everything. He's—he's he's not here. Mm-hmm. So then you got to start some somewhere else. Yeah, and Ron and Jill were thinking that at this time he had been taken out of the campsite. Right, just like she said right off the bat. And it had been reported the day that Kurt went missing that there was a white station wagon in the campground, Dale. Mm-hmm. And in, it was also reported that it was saw speeding off. In a cloud of dust. Yep. High old silver. Mm-hmm. And there was no white station wagon registered there at that campsite by any campers. Right, but I'm sure every car, they don't, you don't register every car, do you? I, I mean, I'm sure you come in and register whatever you pull on your camper with, blah, blah, blah. But if you say if uh, you went up and then I come up the next day, do I got to, well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it does. Yeah, I would say back in 75, you just probably registered whatever 
vehicle you were pulling your camper with. What if he was just coming to visit? Probably not. So. Uh, probably it's not. In 75, probably not. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, if he was just coming, driving down the road and didn't turn it into the campground. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Could have been. Could It might be everybody who comes in the door has to be. Yeah. I don't know the, this particular campground rules, but. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that, you know, there could be a way for a car to come in without being registered. Yep. Like I said, they were thinking that Kurt had been abducted, but the authorities were saying that with so many children available in the cities, why would a kidnapper come to one of the most remote campgrounds in the state hoping to find a kid riding a tricycle along on a deserted road? Mm. Well, if he told me that, I'd say, he's probably come out here to pick your teeth up off the ground yeah because <laughs> that right there would not go well with me. i know and dale there was also a report that there was a captive bear often teased by the local kids that it might have been released a few miles from the campground that may have uh taken kurt yeah but there was no sign of anything like that yeah they didn't find no nothing no clothes no shoes you know no blood no they didn't find anything so mm-hmm. i don't know about that and usually bears are very are not going they're not going to attack. Yeah, they're pretty pretty good about that. Unless they're you know the levels a mama bear or something you know mm-hmm. protecting the cub. Right. Yep. And the police they sent a teletype description of Kurt throughout the United States and Canada. They were pictures of Kurt in post offices all over the country. Yep. And a call came in from <clears throat> a man in Connecticut, and he had returned from a camping trip in the canadian rockies and there he had noticed a small blonde-haired boy staring at him kind of quizzical like and he said he was sort of struck by how nervous the boy was right like it just didn't seem right he just didn't fit in yeah and he saw the same boy um you know the kurt newton missing poster and he even called the report in that it was him but it wasn't no it wasn't him right Detective Cook had drove up to Vermont and found the boy, and it definitely was not him. Yeah. And you know, stuff like that's got to just kill you because then you just get your hopes all back up. Mm hmm. Yep. And Dale, there was another call that came in from New Orleans, Louisiana. Yeah, this is about four months later. Yeah. They had a small blonde haired boy, or perhaps a three or four year old, had been found wandering in the French Quarter there in New Orleans. And they said it was reported that he was very shy. He responded only to the names. With sound of K, right. like Kenny or Kurt. Hmm. And the Newtons, they went to Boston to view a videotape of the child. But even as they watched it, uh, they were certain it wasn't their Kurt. Man. And the boy was identified as the abandoned son of an itinerant Missouri woman who was hitchhiking out west. And his name was Clifford. So she just left him. Yeah, just left him abandoned. They were... Went to an interview with the famed psychic Jean Dixon, and Jean Dixon told Jill that she knew about Kurt's disappearance and had been meditating on it. That don't do you much good. No, it don't. <laughs> but they were putting Kurt's pictures everywhere. Yeah. And they were even going into Canada putting pictures and even putting in uh, English and French Canadian language to try to get somebody. So some information on him. Right, so everybody could read it. They were every gas station, store, passing out posters. I mean, they, every moment they weren't working or doing something else, they were spending their time yeah, looking for Kurt. Door to door. I mean, it's crazy all the effort these people put into this. Now, get this. With the help of friends 
and family in the uh, printing trades, their basement was soon overflowed with more than 75,000 posters stacked into every conceivable space they had in their basement. Hmm. Mm-hmm. They sent for telephone books from major metropolitan areas in the United States and Canada. And every night, friends gathered 20 and 30 strong in the firehouse to to help with this, with the yellow pages. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. Imagine how many stamped envelopes it's going to take to send all these out. Well, I guess 75,000 if that's how many you got, but man. Yeah. But it was pretty smart, you know, because what they did is, is, you know, he's about school age, so that's what they went to do is they started sending these out to everywhere that they could think of. Canada, United States, all over the place. Mm-hmm. 75,000. That's a lot of stamps. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they were getting letters from everywhere with sympathy prayers, and many included included photographs of children in local schools. Mm-hmm. But they would get, you know, pictures of kids that looked like Kurt, but, you know, they, it wasn't their Kurt. Right. And you got to hate that. I mean, every time it's like ripping the Band-Aid off again mm-hmm. and again and again and again. Now, two years after Kurt pedaled away on his tricycle, their incredible campaign was over, Dale. Mm-hmm. They spent well over $5,000 on mailing cost alone. Right, yeah. It took them, them and their friends over six months to do wow. this. Wow. And by the end of a stack of 1,000 posters remained in their basement. When the last envelope went, we had a feeling we'd done everything we could, Ron said. Then all they could do is just wait. Right. I'll tell you what, the effort that these people put into this is yeah, incredible. Yeah. And I don't think there's ever been anybody that has done more to try to find somebody. I know. This is the biggest search effort in the history of Maine. Yeah, but I think it goes farther than that. Man. Probably does. I mean, you think about it. The, the effort these people put into this mm-hmm. and nothing Dale in 1975 this search for Kurt Newton cost $25,139 in 1975 what would that be today? Uh, today that would be worth $135,044.38 wow wow he's right yeah told you man they put in the effort they did they, they put it in there every experience I mean it's just yeah blows my mind Jill and Ron Newton, they continued to look for their son. I mean, they they definitely had a void in their life, but there was no sign of Kurt ever. He just Mm-mm. disappeared that day. Just disappeared. But Jill is adamant that Kurt left the campground that day, that he was abducted and taken out. Right. So what do you think? I think he was taken out. You think it was the white car? I think it was something, man. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I think somebody somebody got him. Yeah. You know, and there's, there's a lot of, you know, theories and you know the animal theory and i don't i don't buy i don't buy the animal theory the way they look they didn't find anything they found clothing or something something yeah i don't know i think somebody somebody just grabbed him off his tricycle and bolted yeah i think he was gone before they ever ever really knew what was going on yeah which is sad yeah he was out of that he was out of that campground before they even started looking yeah yeah now ron and jill today they live in florida yeah they moved from maine to florida and they're just living it up, having a good life, and um, enjoying. Sure think about them every day. Yeah, enjoying their golden years. Mm-hmm. But I hate it for them. Yeah, me too, man. All right, that is the disappearance of Kurt Newton. <sighs> man, sad case. It is. That's a hole can never be filled. Yep. All right, dude. We are going to get out of here. Let's roll, man. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about. You. This is the, the Crack, Crack House, House Chronicles. Chronicles.